It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, you realize this is the last show we'll do in 2014? Are you serious? That had not dawned on me. I feel like this year has kind of flown by a little bit. You know, just looking back in reflection, this is the year of the big gift. We um, we started this year with me talking about, you know, I finally came clean and, and told everybody I had a special needs daughter. You know, it was one of those kind of secrets me and my wife had been holding. And um, we raised some good money. We have a, we have approximately $4,000 we're going to be passing out before year end. If you want to follow the Twitter feed, go to our website. It's money-guy.com. And you can find out about the big give. You know, we've been raising some money for autism awareness as well as support services. And by the way, it's not too late. I mean, you might be cutting it really close. You might have to take a picture off the website and put it in a box and wrap it up um, because it probably ain't going to get there if you listen to the show today. And um, But it, you could still do some tightwad nation gear if you're thinking about it. It's just that it might be one of those things where... You have to get creative with how it's presented since you won't actually have the goods until after Christmas, but still something worth sharing. Um, I, I guess before I move on past that, thank you guys for all your support, by the way. When we started this project, I didn't know how big, how small. All I know, all I knew I wanted to do was whatever you guys bought in shirts, we were going to cover the cost of the manufacturing. And so 100% of the money could go to proceeds to the charity. Um, really cool that you guys stepped up. And um, I, I think also all the people that were involved, you know, we had a, a videographer that helped us to put some stuff together. We had some graphic artists. All of this stuff was so top-notch that it helped. I think it really made this successful. So I, I do want to thank you guys. And, and that kind of leads in nicely. Bo, this is what we're going to be talking about because I have a lot of lead-in to before we get to the meat. Okay. I don't know. We've done some things, some some kind of really looking out into the future, trying to figure out where your life is going, shows in the past. But, sure. So, so maybe it's too soon, but I felt like for the last show of the year, these are the important things you need to be talking about. This is vision planning. Ah. I'm talking about personal vision planning. So we're going to get into what you need to be doing to look at the coming year. 2015 is a brand new year. Everybody does all these New Year's resolutions, and it can be bigger then just deciding you go trim an extra inch off your waist. It can be bigger than just saying, you know what, maybe I don't cuss as much in 2015 or I don't eat as much sugar. Guys, you can do something incredible. I mean, you can change your entire life, whether we're talking about financially, health-wise, or even just changing the shape directly, you know, completely, where maybe you, you move across the world to go do mission work. Maybe you start a new business venture. Or maybe you just change jobs. I mean, there is no limit to what you can do when we're talking about vision planning. Um, Bo, we had talked about pre-planning. This is how shows are developed here at the Money Guy Show, by the way. Is um, We talked to each other last week. Because remember, you're in Nashville now. So it's yep. not like I can just yell through the walls like I, I've done for so many years in the past. We were on the phone with each other. And um, you go, by the way, do you have a podcast topic? <laughs> and I was like, No. And then I can't remember if you threw it out or if I threw it out. You go, how about you're in tax planning? I was like, that's so boring. There's I mean, a lot I just, of stuff out there about so that. So I felt like because people, you know, especially my analytical people, which, by the way, I'm one too, so I'm not picking on you by saying it, but I'll go ahead and give you, I felt like I should have had REM, it's the end of the world playing. Um, I'll go ahead and throw you the bone. If you want to do year-end tax planning, there's two things you need to know. You either have to accelerate your deductions or decelerate your income. So let's go through the accelerate your deductions first. You got to clean out your closet, 
Go clean out your closet, get some charitable tax deductions. Go ahead and give a little bit extra to the church this year, I mean this week or in the next few weeks, and you can close out by accelerating those deductions. You can also make an extra mortgage payment. You can mm-hmm. look at, you know, how you paid for your students, you know, all your education expenses, making sure you have all your receipts. That's how you can accelerate your deductions. Decelerate your income. You can make um, you can defer some ta- some bonuses. If you have bonuses that you can control the timing of, you can you can push that off. You can also maximize your retirement savings. So you can think about doing those IRA contributions. You can put a little bit extra into your 401k, your 403b. There's your year in tax planning episode. I have even two two more. Go ahead, Bo. Go you ahead. have some uh, some losses, maybe in a taxable brokerage account. Now might be a good time to go uh, harvest course, those losses. Some harvest some losses. And if you've not been under rock for the past two or three years, you've seen that the equity markets in this country have done fantastically well over the past few years. Mutual fund companies are starting to have some fairly decent capital gain distribution. So you might just want to go see how big your capital gain distribution in this year might be. Maybe it makes sense to switch around your investments and try to avoid some of that income hit if you weren't someone who got to take uh, participate in those gains. At least know about them so you can make sure there's no surprises when you do your taxes in April. So there we go. We did a tax episode really quick before we jumped into kind of the stuff I want to talk about. Because before I talked about vision planning, there is a setup for this, guys. Because in that same phone call I was having with Bo, we were trying to figure out the plan. I said, Bo, the only thing I know about next week's show is... I want to talk about Dave Grohl. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think I got that reaction from you. Like, how, how are we going to tie Dave, Dave Grohl? I just couldn't figure out where you were show. going with it. Well, and guys, I came home last week and I don't know, you know, why it was on, but Ellen's, I don't know if it was a rerun or if maybe this is when she just aired her episode on. It's almost like Oprah's favorite things, but Ellen was giving away the, the, the audience tons of free stuff, and they were all freaking out. It's like a good Saturday Night Live skit where they were, you know, giving birth to babies and jumping around. It was it was incredible, and it just it, it I felt like even though I can't give you guys stuff besides just the information, I can share cool things I come across in life, and and maybe some of you won't care and won't want it, but a few of you will will go out there and check some of these things out and go. That is pretty cool. So on that line of thought, what has really been kind of taking hold of me, and and Bo, this is probably the better lead-in, since I've turned 40, what have you noticed about me? You've gotten a little more emotional, a little more sentimental. I wouldn't have said emotional. Sentimental is the the better word for sure, because emotional makes me sound like... Well, you're not crying. I'm crying. <laughs> you come in at three in the afternoon, and I'm in there with my head with between ca- my candles, hands. Candles lit crying. and dim lighting. But, but I am much more sentimental, and um, it, it's so interesting to me. Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters have been doing this whole series called Sonic Highways, and I was already a big fan of... Dave Grohl doing these documentaries because um, he did Sound City back in 2013 on um, a big famous studio out in L.A. Or maybe it's not in L.A. I know it's in California that they were disassembling and he found out. And so he stepped in, um, took the, the some of the key components and put them in his own um, studio. And they did a whole documentary on all the albums that were you know recorded in that studio. It was really cool stuff. And I, I'm starting to realize Dave Grohl is suffering from the exact same thing I am. Dave is, I think, 46. Okay. So he's a few years older than me because I, I just, matter of fact, that's the other thing that I think makes me sentimental is that, especially this time of year, is I just had a birthday. So I'm now squarely in the 40s. Um, I didn't just turn 40. I'm now in my 40s. Um, I'm also 
this is the holiday season, so right. I just spent a lot of time with my family and Thanksgiving. I'm heading into the holidays, getting ready for Christmas, so that makes me a little more sentimental. I lost my father in um, December back in 2000, so this time of year, especially you get around the date, which is not too far from when this show is getting released, I get I get kind of touchy-feely and sentimental sure. about that. And then there is something just about becoming middle age. When you become middle age, you, you do recognize your mortality, which is kind of a scary thing, but it's also... This is going to sound weird. It's kind of a freeing thing because I know, Bo, and I'll pick on you because you're in your 20s and 30s. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I was a true warrior. My mentality was that of a warrior. I wanted to conquer. I wanted to just accomplish all these things. And I, and I thought I had a lot of things figured out. And I see this sometimes when I'm in meetings and stuff, and there's a young person that you can just tell they're rip-roaring and ready to go out. I love the energy, but you recognize also, oh, it hasn't hit them yet. And what I mean by what hasn't hit them is that something has hit me in the last year or two where I've recognized I don't have it all figured out. And, and that might be scary to a lot of people, but it's also very, very freeing to know that you don't have to have everything figured out, that life is going to happen, and, and you're going to make it through whatever comes without having to complete control over everything. Kids will humble you in that aspect, too, because you can control a lot of things in life except for your kids. So that that's something that I think has been very, very good for me, is that I know that when I look at life now, I breathe a little bit deeper. I try to appreciate more. And, and I, I want to learn so I can share, because I think when you know that your mortality is there, it makes you feel like you want to create something of a legacy. Sure. You want to you learn and share as much as possible. Dave Grohl is going through the exact same thing. You can tell by him creating these documentaries. Now, what's my connection with Dave Grohl? Um, I thought it's interesting. You know, Dave Grohl, most people now know him as the, the lead singer of Foo Fighters. He's kind of the front man for the Foo Fighters. But, you know, before that, he was the drummer for Nirvana. Yeah. Nirvana, you know, came out with the album that kind of changed everything, for, at least for me, back in September of 1991. And I was, back in September of 1991, I was a senior in high school. So I can still remember my buddy. And what's funny is some of my friends listen to the show now. I found out that they're closet fans. They didn't tell me until recently they listened to the show. But some of my, my friends, I remember Justin, um, Stephen, I'll call him Vu. He probably won't get offended because he still calls himself Vu. But we um, we were sitting in Justin's dad's parking lot, and I, I remember I just found the Nevermind album from, from Nirvana. We listened to, I made him listen to three songs straight. Because I was just floored by that 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 whole album. It was just really incredible. And and I want to give Justin mad props because he's the he's the music guy out of, out of our our group. He was just here in the office a few weeks ago doing some photographic work for us. But he found Pearl Jam's ten album before I found Nevermind. And and what's interesting if you look back at the timeline, Pearl Jam's ten album was released in August of '91. So it's so crazy that those two albums from two Seattle bands. I mean, you could probably pile on and go into Soundgarden and all the other bands that came out of that area and that era. But it was incredible. And, Bo, you're looking at me because I know all, everybody, you're thinking classic rock. This is old school <laughs> stuff. And I'm starting to get that glossy-eyed rolling back in my head, you know, because I'm getting where I'm, I'm going back in time and the feelings. And it is, I will tell you, music is a connection. Back when I was in the, in the 90s, when I was a senior in high school, what do you have going on in your life? I worked at Hardee's as a, as a crew chief at a fast food you know, drive through right. the lane. 
Um, you know, every now and then I'd work for Justin's metal fabrication shop, you know, on the weekends to make a little extra money. But that's really all I had going on. I wasn't thinking about starting Preston and Cleveland, the money guy and all this. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a wife. I don't even know if I had a girlfriend in my senior year of high school. But I remember having a, a tremendous connection with music because you could, it's the only time in my life that in high school and college where you can listen to an album, absorb it, and just kind of let it seep through you, and it just and you think about everything that's going on. When you get to be my age now, I buy an album or I listen to it on Beats. I should say I don't buy anything anymore. I just pay my my subscription fee and listen to it, and and it's entertainment in the background because life is so busy with everything. But you realize that that connection you have with music is probably a, a you know something. You, it is saved for the young, and right. I know it's probably gonna offend some of the. Because I read some of the articles Dave Grohl did, and he, he makes the example that you have to be a special person to choose to be a musician versus an accountant. And it kind of stung a little bit because, heck, I was an accounting major in college, so maybe I did sell my soul to be better at business. But that's what my passion was, was numbers. But it is something that I, I thought was really cool that you can tell Dave Grohl is going through that. So I would, I would encourage you, go check out the Sonic Highway's because what he does is they're recording, Foo Fighters is recording eight separate cities, um, and it, they go through the history of each city. And these are some really cool cities. If you look at the cities that are involved, it's, um, I've got the list right here. It's Chicago, Austin, Nashville, Los Angeles, Seattle, New Orleans, Washington, D.C., and New York. And the, the two that really grabbed me, if you want to, maybe this isn't your, your jam, but you, you, won't pay me enough respect that you want me to go check it out. I love the Nashville and I love the Seattle. And the reason I like those two episodes and Bo, I even we were up in Nashville visiting mm-hmm. you and your wife, and I made you watch the Nashville yep. one. And you don't know a ton about Dave Grohl no, and the Foo no. Fighters, but it was entertaining. You it loved was it, it was you? really cool to see it. Well, especially since you and Jenna now live in Nashville, it's really cool to see the history of music. Absolutely. I mean, and he paid an ode to to. To Dolly Parton, who's like my, I mean, Jolene is one of the best songs ever written in music. And you know how much, I mean, if you go to my 20, I don't, not that I play an iPod anymore, but if you know in iTunes, it'll tell you your 25 most played songs. Jolene is always at the top of the list. I know that sounds goofy, but it, it really is one of the better things out there. And I like the Seattle because he talks about Dave Grohl gets very personal with his experiences with becoming part of Nirvana, as well as when Kurt Cobain you know, killed himself and that whole transition, it, it was really cool. And it kind of gives you those, ra- you know, hair on your arm standing up moment and brought me back in time. And that's why I guess I want to say if you're my age, maybe a little bit older, a little bit younger, will you remember all the grunge phase? Watch these shows and it will it will help give you history on music. But also for those of you who are nostalgic about that whole Nirvana and, and, and as well as the whole grunge scene, you'll get a, you'll get a little... A little, I don't know, sappy-eyed about yeah, the sure. whole thing. So it's kind of cool. So I kind of want to do the same thing with the transition into how do we do a vision plan? Because, I, you know, my, my obsession about things is when I see a concept I like, I had to go find out, well, how in the heck did Dave Grohl get into doing this? And you wouldn't believe how much prep went on behind the scenes where the, these projects go on for years. I mean, I think this was two years in the making to make this happen. And and I thought it was very interesting as he talked about the planning for it or, or the article I read on it is that as he was calling backers because he had to go raise money to do this documentary, his stomach hurt. You know, it made his stomach knot up because he was doing something that made him so uncomfortable. 
um, going and probably talking to these suits. I could see if me and Dave met each other. We'd probably like each other tremendously, but he'd probably call me a suit. You know, and so I imagine he's calling these suits, asking them for money. And it made him very uncomfortable because he's very much not in that business right. world type of, uh, of setting. But he did it. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about as we get into vision planning and what you can do as a person. These are the things it's going to take. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be an accountant like me with a CPA background. You can be a rocker. As mm-hmm. Dave Grohl says, I think he, when I was looking at his life history, he dropped out of, you know, I think he might have dropped out of high school. He never learned how to play an instrument. You know, he, he just learned, to, he didn't learn to read music, I should say. Right, he just right. did it on his own way. You can do that as long as you have a vision plan. You have to have a plan. I don't want you to use his example of dropping out of high school, not learning to read music, and think you're going to be a world-class Hall of Fame musician. There, he's not giving himself enough credit. There is a plan that was in place. This is not luck that, that kind of came into being that made this all happen. So let me flip through my notes because... I'm kind of shocked, but I wrote four pages of notes. I didn't look at them. Did you see that? I kind of just, <laughs> just did that off the cuff. So let me find where in the heck my steps to a vision plan are. Okay, here we are. <laughs> Throw, <laughs> y'all are looking like literally he is throwing his sheets on the paper on the ground there. Okay, steps to a vision plan. Bo, we kind of did these together yeah. because I wanted to get your take, and I liked how you tried to get me to draw out some of my own personal experiences. Mm-hmm. So I'll throw in that stuff, too. If I haven't run everybody off with my, my, my man crush on Dave Grohl that I just threw out there. But here we go. The first thing we figured out, if you're going to have a successful vision plan, you got to write it down. Absolutely. Um, Bo, you know, I do some of my best thinking, and I've had at least two business concepts that have come out of taking showers. Absolutely, yeah. I don't yeah. know what it is, but when I'm, um, when I'm taking a shower, maybe it's because I don't have a child pulling on my leg. I don't have somebody screaming my name, but that water hitting my brain, it makes me think better. Yeah. I'll just sit under the shower and think about what I've got to do for the day, and then that's where some of my better ideas come. But the thing is, when I have these dreams, when I have these these thoughts, they don't really exist until I write them down. Mm-hmm. So you've got to write down these ideas when they come to you. So, so that's probably the first thing I'd start with. The second thing, and Bo, we were talking about this was so important. And I didn't realize this until I, I guess I'm in that wounded warrior or maybe uh, hitting that elder status versus that, that warrior that wants to just take over the world. Is we'll call you the wise warrior. The wise warrior maybe is that you have to understand the why of why you're doing your mm-hmm. vision. And we were talking about, Bo, is that I've always been a very driven person. And you've talked about you were, you're a very driven person. But I couldn't tell you what my, my true vision for life of why I was, you know, besides just trying to be successful – I didn't have something that made it different. Sure. So I think it's important if you understand the why um, and what's driving your desire to do this, you'll be much more likely to be successful. And, and to give an example, I worked, you all have heard my story, if you because we've been doing this show since 2006, what led to me even starting my own company. I worked for one of the, I worked for the, I shouldn't say one, it's the largest fee-only financial planning firm in the entire Southeast. We were working with, you know, CEOs of companies. We were working with professional athletes. Pedigree-wise, I couldn't have been working with a better firm. Right. Um, my father got sick in 2000 with leukemia, passed away rather quickly. I mean, I remember he, he kind of was on a slow demise for about a five- to six-month period, and then, well, I should say fast demise because that's pretty quick for leukemia. And I lost my father in December of 2000, 
and it kind of rocked my world. And, um, you know, it's so funny is that I was driven all the, you know, to, to have success. I was working all the time. And then it hit me that I was leaving the house at six in the morning, coming home at seven at night. We didn't have, I was married, but I didn't have children at the time. And after my father passed, it, it, it's one of those things where it alters the entire landscape of your life where you're like, holy cow, what am I doing? You know, yeah. I'm on this treadmill. I'm making, I'm making good money. I'm working all the time. But why? The why? Why am I doing this? Because it didn't seem very worthwhile after my father passed sure. away. So um, I didn't. Know, the other thing that hit me was when my father passed away. I didn't get to take a lot of time off work. I think that's part of working for a more of a corporate feeling place. You, you know, you're, you're kind of a number, and you've got to get your workload done. So I didn't get to take the time that I wish I would have been able to take to kind of mourn the passing of such a key person in my life. Because me and my father talked at least three to four times a week. He was kind of my rock in that aspect. So I decided when my father passed away, probably in January of 2001, that I was not going to keep working at this company. And so I spent all of 2001 saving money, coming up with a plan. And then I went in, I remember I put in my notice right at the end of January, 1st of February, I was going to leave. And Somehow, this is why sometimes I think it, you know, there's more at work than just a good plan. I was able to start my own company, but then the, the company I was working with asked me to keep working for them for like another two and a half to three months while I was still working on my stuff. They said, work on your stuff, but we need you to help transition off these clients. I look back because we still know that company yeah. and still have a tremendous amount of respect. I can't imagine them ever doing that for no, any of their associates not. now. I definitely mean, so not. I don't know what was different back then. But it was, it worked. I mean, it all worked out. And I think the whole purpose of me telling you all this is passion and purpose can trump trials and talent. And what I mean by that is, is that my world was so rocked after my father's death that I didn't worry about the fact that, you know, I did worry I needed to save money, but I didn't know where I was going to get my clients from because I had no clients when I started my firm. Well, I did have one. I transitioned one client from my old firm and then I transitioned off everybody else. Um, to, to be right on with it. And I didn't know how well I was going to be able to make it through all the trials and tribulations of starting a new company, the regulations, the, the requirements to get financing on things. I didn't think about that stuff, but my passion, as well as my purpose for the why I was trying to do it, beat out those, those, those trials and tribulations as well as the talent. I was able to build that talent even up to a point because I was going to make it happen no matter what. And I think those are such important things um, if you're going to make it through. And the biggest part of that is understanding the why of why you want to have this new vision plan. We had talked about, Bo, the other thing. You know, old, I was only in Boy Scouts for a few months. I, I made it through all the way through Cub Scouts. Got my arrow of light as a weebelow, but then as soon as they start sleeping outside, you just dropped some some stuff on me that I've never even heard before. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about when you say the wee below and the arrow. So you weren't a Cub Scout, I think. No, it. sir, not well, not me. Uh, so I got to the Boy Scouts. You know, I, I remember the motto: "Always be prepared." But it really was one, and I think I was ruined because I, I camped in college and I liked, I love hiking, I love being outdoors because it helps me with that whole breathing in, taking in the surroundings and stuff. But the first outdoor trip I went on. Um, it snowed. You know, in Georgia, we don't get a ton of stuff. And we were hiking the Appalachian Trail, a portion of the Appalachian Trail in North Georgia mountains. And um, we had one of the worst snowstorms back in the early 80s when I was hiking. 
And um, the can- the tents that we had as, as the Boy Scouts were these old Korean tents. When I say Korean, I'm talking about from the Korean War, okay. that somebody had donated these tents to the, to the Boy Scouts. And I swear to God, there was a hole in my in the tent I was sleeping in. I woke up, and my sleeping bag was wet, and it, of course, wasn't waterproof because we couldn't afford those. So I think I developed my dislike of camping from from just my worst experience you could ever imagine from sleeping outside but i do think there's something to the motto of always being prepared so you can't underestimate the value of preparation and when i talk about preparation you know yes it's money yes it's time and but it's even more than that i think you've got a plan for the worst i'm always amazed when i review people's plans of action and it's always so rosy i'm like really you don't think it's going to be harder than this? I mean, that's the thing is you have to, when you create a plan, plan for the worse. I mean, it really is the thing. Maybe you create two or three plans. I know when I was planning for this business, um, when I was doing all my spreadsheets, I had, I think I did three options. I did, okay, what's the worst it can be, and I still keep this thing afloat, right. versus what I think it will be, and then what if we just come out and kill it? You know, maybe maybe Oprah decides she likes us and puts us on, you know, finds out about us. Early. That, that's the way you can do business planning or vision planning is you need to know, um, where you're going and plan for the worst. And I also say, know your blind spots. You know, I've talked about this on other things, Bo. I pick on you because when you came out of college, how you're kind of a pessimist. I'm an optimist, but I know I'm an optimist. So I have to plan for that. I have to make sure that that's not a blind spot that hurts me. Yep. So preparation cannot be underestimated. And that really is money. Um, also, when I, when I talk about that, I told you I took, I mean, what did, if you did the math on that, it probably took me 15 to 16 months from, you know, from uh, my preparation to go out and become self-employed. Um, I had to save up, I think, Bo, I told you I saved up $42,000 in that year. We right. basically were living off my wife's salary. And then, um, I started, we just saved as much money as we possibly could. I spent every bit of that money. During that time, just because that's how much, you know, you businesses, I went from making close to six figures to the first year I made $19,000. So if we didn't have the $42,000 of savings, there is no way this venture would have been able because you've got to, you got to fill in those voids while you're trying to build that client base. Cause it really does take usually three years to kind of get a business going. Um, and time. That's why you might need to make sure that you take enough time. Don't come up with a great concept. And then think, okay, next month I'll just go implement. It might take a little time for that to build. I mean, Bo, this office, open up this office in Nashville for you. We started preparation on that in 2011. Oh, yeah. It's been a years in the making. So, sure. I mean, this stuff does not happen overnight. A great plan can be demised very quickly by lack of preparation. Mm-hmm. So make sure you're doing what it takes to prepare for success. And by preparing for success means you have to know what the worst is and then make sure you've checked all the boxes on money, time, and everything else. Now, transitioning to the next step. I always say, go the road less travel. I already hit on this a little bit when I was talking about Dave Grohl, kind of bringing it full circle again, is that I told you Dave Grohl had to, to get money for it to create the Sonic Highways documentary series. And in an interview, he even stated, my stomach hurt every time I had to call these people and start talking to them about trying to raise money so I could get the funding to do this. But I kept telling myself, it's going to be good, meaning that the end user is going to get something out of this. It's going to make the world a better place by doing this. So that helped push him through. Well, I had the exact same experience. When I started my company, as I told you, I rolled out in 
February 2002 to start my business venture, I had one client, and I kind of looked around and go, "Holy now cow! What? <laughs> now, now what do I do? You know, how, how do I make? How do I f- find the money to make this thing work?" And and I did it. I tried everything. I kind of just the whole adage that I threw it up against the wall to see what would stick. You know, I cold called. That was horrible. It didn't work. I'm not exactly the greatest cold caller in the world. Um, I joined a bunch of organizations to see if I could meet people. And, and truthfully, if I had to go back in time and tell you what was the one element that worked, I don't know that I could tell you. Right. But I can tell you I tried everything, and that's because I was not going to let failure be an option with it. So you have to go the road less traveled. Make your stomach hurt. If you're not losing sleep, if you're not making your stomach hurt, you're probably not doing it right. And I know that sounds harsh to say because we all want life to be somewhat easy. But the truth of the matter is you have to do the cruddy stuff. Yep. And that's what makes you different. You, you use a quote all the time talking about workout. You have to clean it up. Make it make it G to PG, but yeah, It says uh, everybody wants to be big and strong, but nobody wants to lift the heavy weight. Yeah. It sounds so much better, though, when you get to use the colorful <laughs> language, but it's true. I mean, everybody wants to be muscular and, and in good shape, but nobody wants to go do the hard work. Yep. It's the same thing. I mean, I'd love to have a six-pack, but man, do I love chicken fingers, and I love the, the, the sauces that you can dip chicken fingers into. So that, that's why I'm not there. Um, I wanted to talk about kind of we're getting close, so I think I've got two other things to talk about here is you need to be able to measure your progress. Bo, you and I were talking about in, pre- you know, in, in, in preparation for the show is that you have to have, if, if you just go out there, I think this is a lot of things in life, if you're not finding some way to measure where you are. How do you know if you're moving in the right direction? Exactly. So you've got to find some type of points of success to let you know you are on that right path. Um, and I had a few things here. I said this, this doesn't matter if you're talking about life, if you're talking about business. There are things that you can find to benchmark yourself off of to compare. If we're talking about health, go put, go ahead and schedule that physical with a doctor, doctor's office, maybe four months in advance. Mm-hmm. That way you have a goal, something that is going to force you to go to that gym three times a week or yep. four times a week, something that will hold you accountable to that. If you're a business, I've already told you, I created three separate business plans. You know, the worst case, what I think will happen, and then if we knock the, you know, knock the leather off the ball, I created a three to five year business plan and I, I still have it in my archives. I could go pull that thing. Oh yeah, out. we've looked at it. It's fun to go back in time and look at that business plan and see how you're doing. If you're talking about personal finance, you got to be doing these net worth statements. Yeah. How many years in a robo have we ended the December podcast and said, guys, this is the greatest time of year because Bo and I are already sharpening our pencils doing, I guess we don't sharpen pencils anymore, but we're keying <laughs> so in our, our spreadsheets. <laughs> we're keying in our spreadsheets um, or updating our net worth statements. It's really a cool thing so because it, it lets you kind of see where you've been, where you're going, and, you know, really kind of check into that benchmark to see how you're doing. Same thing with cash flow projections. You know, if you're if you're monitoring how your money's going in and out, you're much more likely to be successful. So these are the things that are going to help you make it through these goals. Before I move on to the last point, net worth statement. I've told y'all, and I, I never know if I've picked up a new listener because I get emails all the time from people saying, but listen to you about a year. So I don't know if they got that last thing that I said maybe in last year's episode. But This is worth repeating even if you have heard it before. I mean, the net worth statement, my wife is not as financially involved with our finances as I am. She just doesn't love it. I mean, if it had Tory Burch written on the side of you know, the net worth statement, it. it might be a little more interested <laughs> But she's just not going to get involved. But I worry. I've already told you that, that I have more thoughts of my mortality now. 
Every year, I give her an updated net worth statement with key contact information, life insurance policies, and other things, just in case I get hit by that bus on a Tuesday afternoon. I think that stuff is so important for your significant other to know where you, to have that, those discussions to know where you are financially. Um, the net worth statement also, if you're talking about internally, for some reason, when you see what you've done, maybe for the last year, last two, last three years, it does something to your internal psychology that flips a switch to where it really is magical. Things get better just because I think your subconscious is aware, hey, I need to work on this. So that's another reason. It goes back to the whole thing that I said in step one is you've got to write it down. Well, it's the same thing when you create a net worth statement. You're writing down where your moment where you are financially in this moment in time, that gets it going. That starts the plan. And I think that is so important. Um, did you have anything else you want to throw no, in that boat? Because I, I, I think that ties in. What I've found since we've begun doing the net worth statements, and we've been doing them for a number of years now, is you get a little bit better at it. Yeah. You start realizing the decisions you make throughout the year, oh, this is going to help the net worth statement at the end of the year. Yeah. Oh, maybe I want to forego this big purchase because that's going to add to this account over here. You actually kind of, it's like a golf swing. You're sort of refining that skill. And then when you look back and have five, six, seven, eight years of data, you say, holy cow, look at where I am now. How in the world did I get here? The last thing I had, and then, Bo, I'm going to totally, totally go off script here in a minute because I figured the last show of the year, anybody who stayed around till the end, I want to ask them a question at sure. the end so they can write us an email and give us their thoughts because I have something I know I want to do in 2015 and I want to get my listeners' thoughts on it. But the last thing that I kind of want to talk about is just benchmarking is better than blazing your own path. And what I mean by that is, is that, Bo, you know, whenever I've tried to do anything, where I've tried to grow, instead of recreating things or starting from scratch, I like to go try to associate or find people I can talk to that have already done it. Absolutely. Essentially, find a mentor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is so interesting to me how generous successful people are. And and I, and I mean that, guys. You really um, ought to find somebody who, who is where you want to be. See if you can just go talk to them. Yep. You know, I, I really am amazed in my life, you know, because nobody does it on their own. No, no matter how successful somebody is, there really is some value to where how you can see the fingerprints um, or the ripples taking off the terminology I used in last week's or the mm -hmm. two weeks ago's episode is that you can drop a, you know, a rock into a pond and that ripple effect of having an impact. Um, it's so funny. I didn't even plan on talking. I didn't write this down on my show notes or anything. I had a lunch with somebody I looked up with, daughter. You know, I uh -huh. had a lunch with Sarah, who's the daughter of Dr. Thomas Stanley. She's doing a great thing with data points. Um, a lot of financial advisors listen to this show. You know, I know Sarah's going to be rolling this out. We'll probably, you know, mention it on the show coming up. But it was really, really cool to be able to share with Sarah that her father's book, The Millionaire Next Door, came out in, 2000, I mean, 1996. Well, that's the year I graduated college. And I remember I was a... A public accountant. I worked at a CPA firm, was getting my CPA, but I always had a closet obsession with being working in personal finance. I was originally a finance major, so I knew I wanted to get into personal finance, but I went the safe route. I went where I knew I'd have a job and wouldn't have to live in my parents' basement and did the accounting degree. And it was reading books like The Millionaire Next Door, The Wealthy Barber, that helped me kind of put together this vision plan to change my entire destiny. And, and that's why I think I'm here. I think the accounting, what's funny to me, is that accounting, even though it was the, the, the kind of the cop-out so I wouldn't have to live in my parents' basement so I knew I'd have a job, 
it gave me the foundation to do things that I think that other advisors weren't doing when yeah, I came out. Sure. And it's funny what the, the crazy journey we all, you know, kind of weave ourselves through to reach things. But I found a mentor. You know, I think what's interesting is I started the firm in 2002. I also went to my very first NAPFA conference that year. I went to the pre-conference. They called them, I don't think they called, I don't, maybe they called them boot camp boot back camp, then. something like that, um, yeah. And I met Cheryl Holland, who ran a firm over in Columbia, South Carolina. She was a monster of the industry. She still is a billion-dollar firm doing incredible things. She just gave everybody CD-ROMs with all of her templates of how she did things. And I was just intrigued with her generosity. And, it, and in some small way, you could probably say that that's probably has, what has led to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Is I'd rather just give it away because I've realized that generosity and sharing experiences and knowledge can actually come back full circle. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to get into all the mystical stuff, but I do think there's definitely something to being a generous personality. Finding that mentor, finding somebody that can help you out, someone who's done what you're trying to and striving to do, it's going to help you tremendously. Because um, I know the things I screwed up on, and if I could share those things, I just saved that person yeah. months of probably the wasted time and Money, effort that time, I spent, effort, yeah. you know, making those mistakes. So, so try to check into that. Um, Bo, did you have something? I saw you feverishly writing. Before I did my, my quasi-science experiment here and put something out to our listeners, I wanted to let, give you a chance. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. I was going to do a really quick recap. Essentially, we're talking about vision planning, and you said there are seven steps, and I just kind of jotted down what those seven steps were, just a little Who knew I, knew I did seven steps? I know, we just right? kind of free, free prose it before Fantastic. we did this. Uh, number one, write it down. Put your goals on the paper so you know what you're doing. Uh, two, know the why. Don't just pursue success, but understand what is success. Why are you trying to achieve what it is you're trying to achieve? Um, have passion and a purpose is number three, and recognize that passion and purpose can overcome talents and trials. Uh, number four is just prepare. Plan for the worst. Know your blind spots. Uh, number five, go the road less traveled. Get out of your comfort zone. I think you, you said if, if your stomach doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. Uh, number six, make sure you have measurable goals to check your progress. And then number seven is nothing wrong with benchmarking. Find somebody who's already done it before, been successful at it, and can share their wisdom and insight with you. Here's the thing I want to close it out. This is kind of be the last thing we share in 2014. Hopefully we have a, a great 2015, too, is that I've been doing this podcast since 2006. It's made me tremendously sentimental in the fact of how far we've come because we went to our first FinCon this year. Got to meet what's funny is a lot of the guys that were getting awards at FinCon were people who had heard of our show. It was really fulfilling to see that we're kind of, we were on the front end of this whole thing. And it's also been crazy to just looking back retrospectively to see how much of my firm growth has been directly tied to the success of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And this thing started as a hobby. I did it because I felt guilty for the people who didn't meet our qualifications, our minimums. So I wanted to just give away free advice to so those people wouldn't feel like they were just left out there without anybody helping them. And once again, generosity came back and paid itself forward. Um, I've picked up a, a good number of clients from the podcast. We have clients all across the country. I think we're in over half the country now. Yeah. Um, really incredible stuff. But I've been talking, I've been going to conferences, I've been speaking at things, and it, it hit me because I had one of my friends that's also a financial advisor, owns a very successful firm. Um, he's more successful than we are, but um, I told him, you know, he knows what we're doing here, and I told him our listenership numbers and stuff, and he goes, God, you, you would think you'd have more clients than that based upon the thousands of people that are listening, and then that that's how many clients, and I was like, well, you know, 
I try to be careful because I don't want to come off as a salesperson because this is an information show. This is a show where we share ideas with people so that you become a better personal finance person, whether it's investment, whether it's cash flow. And then I had my meeting where we did a big benchmark study um, for 2013. I was super excited because our growth rate was really, really good. And then um, I had my, my, my rep from Fidelity come down and she talked with me and she was like, yep, really good growth. But man, with the thousands of people that are listening to you, really shocked. And she goes, I even went to your website. You don't ask for anything on there about sales. And I was like, well, that's not my thing. I don't, I don't want my listeners to think that I'm some infomercial for growing the business. I mean, this is the, the dead truth. I can't stand salespeople. So I think, you know, and a lot of people have, have told me, We've gone too far with it, meaning that I have not done a good job of putting us out there, letting people know that how to, because the podcast, as successful as it is, it's not a, a money-making entity, meaning that we do this, it's not really as a money-making entity. It's, you know, it's the relationships we get off of it that helps, you know, do everything. And that's why we keep it going is because it has led to business relationships and meeting people like Dr. Thomas Stanley's daughter, who, you know, who now we can have a relationship with and talk with. But it has not been, I'm not making, you know, $100,000 a year off of podcast income. It just doesn't exist. This thing is more of a passion project. So in the next few months, I've got to figure out a way. I've told my Fidelity rep I would try to do this and others, a more soft way to just put it out there that we, we do want podcast listeners to consider us for, for, for becoming clients. And I figured instead of me trying to hire some consultant, some of the best advice I've ever gotten on this show is when I ask my listeners, how do you do it without looking like an infomercial? And I'm not talking about I want to change my content. The content's not going to change on the show. The show is going to be done the exact same way I've done it for the last eight years. I just want to find whether it's something on the website or something we play at the beginning of each show or the end of each show, just to kind of let people know we're open to, to have a relationship above and beyond just listening to the podcast. So, Bo, maybe it's crazy I'm just throwing it because I did not talk about this in show prep whatsoever. Yeah, that just came we, out of left but field. But we're talking about vision planning, and I'm talking about what I want to do in 2015. This stuff's important to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. And so I felt like I would open it up and just see if, if anybody in the audience, or hopefully there'll be multiple people, just give us your thoughts. And, and also tell me what you're worried about hearing this, too, because I don't want you I don't want to run anybody off because my audience is so, so very important to me. I mean, we have built this thing up over eight years, and um, I found so interesting when I was at FinCon and other things, we have this great relationship with the consumers. We've not done a good job of going out there and marketing and cross-referencing with other podcasters and content creators. We're working on that. We're going to fix that. Um, I think you saw our last episode, we had Alan Moore on. We're creating those those networks right now on that, but we do have a tremendous relationship with the actual consumer that, that goes out there and finds us on Stitcher, on iTunes. I want to keep that. I think that's very sacred to me. It's very important to me that people know that we're trying to give really true, unbiased advice. And because we've been so good with that, it's paid off in other ways for us. But I, I need to figure out a way to kind of kick it up a notch because we got bigger things. So when I talk about vision planning, guys, the Money Guy Show, I want it to be bigger. Not because it necessarily for us and me. It's because I think the message that we do between the Taiwan nation, between trying to make things better, I think people benefit. It's kind of like what Dave Grohl was saying. You listen to this show. You do things. It's not about Brian Preston or Bo Hansen and the Money Guy Show. It's just it makes the thing, it makes things better because we're getting this advice and information out there. So if, if we can grow and be successful, I think 
it makes it all better and will help us. So that's my vision plan. Had no idea this thing was going to come Seinfeld full circle, but that's just the way it works sometimes. But I want to thank you guys. Great 2014. Pay attention to our Twitter feeds. Go out to the website, money-guy.com. You can write the show directly. It's probably very important. I give you that in case you're you're driving down the road. It's very simple. It's Brian B R I A N at money dash guy, or you money dash guy dot com, or Bo Hansen. You can write him at Bo B O at money dash guy dot com. Go check us out on you know the website money dash guy dot com, as well as our Twitter feeds, our Facebook. We're all out there. We're trying to stay connected so you can feel part of this family. Hope you had a great 2014. We'll talk to you at the first of 2015. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.